Welcome to the Serrano Brothers Podcast. We are twin brothers who are pastors in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. We talk about faith, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, culture, and anything else we think is interesting. Thanks for joining. Friends, we are back and we are interviewing the Bishop pre-nominees for the Sierra Pacific Synod uh, Bishop's election coming up in September. And uh, today we have with us the Reverend Amy Kinsley. Welcome, Pastor Amy. We're glad you're here with us. Um, Thanks. It's good to be here. Can you uh, can you tell us uh, currently where you serve and what conference you're a part of? Sure. Um, so I serve at St. John's Lutheran Church in Midtown, downtown Sacramento, just down from the capital uh, in California here. Um, I've been here for four years and I'm the uh, associate pastor and director of outreach, um, which includes like uh, direct service ministries, evangelism. And then I also took into my uh, sort of portfolio uh, adult formation as a way to kind of meet those uh sort of those ministry areas. That's nice. Those seem like they, those two could go together very well with adult formation and outreach and evangelism and connecting and it's having people become disciples, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, for me, that's what I realized. But the, my predecessor who saw it, it wasn't exactly like filling the same role, but, when I, but I learned that um, she was outreach and discipleship. And I thought, oh, well, those kind of go together. So I, they had been separated or been like, it had been removed from the outreach um, area. But I thought, you know, I, that's something I feel passionate about. I like to teach and I like to, you know, do adult formation. So I thought, well, I'll take that um, into my area too. Cause I think it is foundational for doing that work. So totally. Do you, uh, when we, uh, uh, before we get into like kind of more of the ministry stuff, uh, we kind of want to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. And so uh, could you tell us like, what is one of your favorite childhood memories, whether it's inside or outside of the church? What is a memory for you that just stands out right away? Sure. Well, I guess it would be outside the church for the most part, because uh, growing up, I wasn't, we weren't super into church. Um, so maybe we'll get into that story too. But, um, but you know, I grew up on Long Island uh, and a big trip for us, like my family is very much like Long Island, but um, centered, but you know, it's Metro New York and a big trip was going into the city, which I know the city here is San Francisco, but the city there, and in my mind is always Manhattan or, you know. Um, and so I remember as a kid, uh, my parents, I forget how old I was, but I was like, you know, elementary school and like young, maybe seven or eight or something. And so they, told us we we're going somewhere, but it was a surprise, you know, so, but we had to get on the Long Island Railroad, we took the train, which was always a big thing, and then the subway, which, you know, people from Long Island never take the subway, and, but we were, uh, we ended up, we were going to a Mets game, so, you know, uh, that was very exciting, and so, baseball is a big, like, I'm a big fan of baseball and the New York Mets, and so, like, um, you know, my family grew up rooting for them, and we each had our favorite players, and, you know, things like that, so that was, I always enjoyed those times when we'd get to go together on these like trips into the city. Are you still a Mets fan? I am. And my new husband is a Yankees fan. So, you know, <laughs> it's like a divided household, but yeah, thankfully he's a nice, he's a nice Yankees fan. I'm not such a nice Mets fan. I'm kind of like, <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> but, so it works. Uh, you know, a lot of people, 
kind of see the public facing part of pastors and and they don't really kind of get to know pastors on 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 the other side and so we're wondering uh, what do you do in your off time do you have like any any hobbies any anything that you activities that you kind of keep coming back to yeah um Sometimes I wish I made more time for them, the things that I really like to do, but I've always been, art has always been part of what I, like I do art. Um, I do painting and drawing and stuff. And um, and so I, when I make time, I, I love to do that. But it's like all, it's all immersing for me. So it's kind of like, it has to, I have to like be in the right space and have like where I can lay stuff out and, and stuff. Um, but I also like to, I try and stay active, um, although now my knee is bothering me. So I was um, training for a, ha a half marathon, the Urban Cow, but um, my knee told me otherwise. So I have to like rest it and stuff. But, um, and then uh, I love cooking. So like even like other creative things, um, mm -hmm. cooking meals uh, for people, although I can never do them simply. I have to like, if I'm going to cook, then it's also like, <laughs> I have to use all the pans and <laughs> experiment and, and things is so, your kitchen like a huge mess afterwards or like just it kind of is and i don't like the dishes but at least um i have a partner who does so i'm like okay good you i'll cook you do the dishes and it'll work it's but uh <laughs> and we have a dog you know so i'll take the dog um places of course taking him in the car means there's a ton of hair everywhere so it's always um right. but i do like to get out in the outdoors too like hiking or going exploring new places or even urban exploring, you know, being from New York City or spending a lot of time in the New York City area, I um, always love to just like walk around neighborhoods. So I um, I do that here too. I, I live in Oak Park in Sacramento and there's a little downtown. So I just go to see what's going on and clear my head and stuff like that. So that's cool. I like going to like towns too, like just exploring new areas. Yeah. Cities. It's, it's really fun. And I really love downtown areas. Uh, yeah you know, little downtown areas walking around those that's cool yeah, even um, when i travel i don't like to schedule myself too much it's like i just walk in neighborhood i don't care <laughs> you know that's nice that's cool um do you find yourself okay let's uh let we you know spirituality is very important obviously to all of us right so do you have any sort of spiritual practices or disciplines that you hold on to yeah for me um, the way I hear God or even, you know, discernment or, um, when I'm trying to get like clarity on things, I mean, I, I, I talk to God or I think I'm talking to God, maybe I'm just talking to myself, but I'll be like, you know, having these ongoing conversations, but for me, um, then I need to really be in community in some way, you know, and so being able to have, I have a spiritual director that I have kept, I've been lucky to have the same person since seminary, which, you know, um, I mean, we do virtual now, but my first call was in Michigan and she actually moved to Michigan. So we were able to actually do face to face for the six years that of my first call. Um, and then we've continued that relationship. And um, so that's really important. And having people who can like hold my story and then, you know, uh, be able to help me frame things like where's God in that kind of thing. For sure. Um, Poetry is sometimes a practice, you know, I kind of go by feel like sometimes it is art of like the physical nature that helps me to like get in touch with spiritual stuff. Um, I feel like poetry is very prayerful. So sometimes my prayers are more poetry, you know, and kind of writing that down. 
um, scripture is really important to me. And, you know, it's one of those secrets of pastors that they, you know, we wish we made more time or I certainly do for like personal devotion, as opposed to like preparing sermon, kind of like getting in the scripture. But, but I do feel um, that that is a sort of a spiritual discipline practice for me too. I mean, it's given to us as a, our call and job, but it's also, you know, I love the scriptures and just trying to see what God has uh, as a message for me, uh, but also for the people that I'll proclaim to, you know, so that, so I try to make that also more of a spiritual practice than just a, a task, right? So, um, so those are so some sometimes of the it can be right. It can be a task sometimes because it's like the right. Job, it's like okay, right. right. So, so I need a sermon, so we'll see what happens. You know? Right. So to be able to to actually intentionally use that as a discipline and as a, and to both as for a way of listening for God and for communicating with the people, I think it's really beautiful, uh, mm-hmm. a beautiful practice to hold. That oh, that we all pastors would do that more. <laughs> and I know that right. that's a trouble amongst all of us, you know. So yeah. Um, and it's, you know, we deal with the same pressures that everyone does. So it's like, sometimes it is, okay, well, got to get there on Sundays. So I better have something, you know, but, <laughs> but, you know, that even in that, then I try to um, reflect after, because always, even the ones that we think we're either phoning in or, well, I don't know about this one, someone, and those are the ones that actually someone will say, well, you know, when you said that, it really touched me. And then you realize, okay, so it isn't me. Alone. Right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, Every time, Pastor Amy, Every time I'm like, gosh, I just phoned that sermon in. Right. Somebody will come and say to me, you know, that sermon was for me, pastor. And, right. and my wife is like, there's no way somebody said that to you. Because my wife is like my most honest <laughs> right. you know, person in my life. And, and if she tells me like it was a home run, then it was a home run. But if it was like, <laughs> you know, a bunt, then it was a bunt. Right. And right. she was like, it was a bunt. And I was like, Listen, somebody just told me. I thought Someone's so too. Right. Right. Um, can, Someone can, else I, thought differently. I don't know your story. You, you kind of mentioned that that you weren't in the church and really weren't a part of it in your childhood. Did you grow up Lutheran? Kinda. So, you know, my um, I was baptized at the church that was my dad's church, uh, you know, but he basically did the thing that a lot of young people do, right? You know, their parents pressured them to be there and so they're there with the family until they're old enough to not want to be, right? Um, and so he went through St. John's Lutheran Church in Lindenhurst, and we grew up in that town. Um, and so there was a lot of, um, like, sentimentality or, like, family connection that my dad valued. And so, like, um, so I always knew this unique story about my baptism, right? So my um, since it was going to be at the same church as where my dad was baptized, uh, my parents um, wanted to have it on the same day. So August, he was baptized August 1st and lots of people don't even know their baptismal date, let alone their parents. Right. So like October 1st was my dad's. And then they wanted me baptized on that day at the same church, but the pastor told them, well, we don't baptize generally outside the community. So we do them on Sundays and which I know we've had those conversations with people. Um, so mine is August 2nd of 1981. Mm-hmm. And so I've always had that, like, story as an identity story but beyond that it wasn't always clear what is baptism me you know it wasn't something we always had at our home um my sister and i uh it's only the two of us and she's a couple years younger we did go to sunday school there but again it was my parents kind of dropping us off and i mean wanting us to have something so i mean i uh 
I appreciate that actually. Um, my mom was actually uh, Episcopalian growing up and she, but I remember her saying like she had, a, she believed God exists there, you know, believed in God, but then um, didn't believe in organized religion. So it's kind of funny then that I went to, into, you know, serving organized religion, but, um, but, you know, so we went to Sunday school and, but because it wasn't really like brought home that much, you know, like we prayed before bed. My mom was the one that taught us to do that. So there were these little things where it's like, well, they're figuring out their own like home faith, but it isn't in the church. Um, so we stopped going, like, I think I was in either fourth or fifth grade. So I made first communion, but I didn't go through confirmation. Um, and so it was really in college. And, you know, when I, of course, as pastors, we've had to tell our call story a million times. Right. And like, um, but I always think, well, my mom planted some seeds or my, my family of origin did. Um, and then when I was in college, all my friends went away and I commuted from Long Island to New York university. And I was kind of bored. I didn't really have a community around me because I wasn't staying at the school. All my friends had gone. Um, and so it was my mom that was like, oh, you know, I don't know, look in the paper or go back to church. So she told like a young 20 something that they should go to church if they were bored. <laughs> so I, I always think it's kind of funny, but, um, but it wasn't like an immediate, like, oh yeah, okay, that's what I'm going to do. But it, I just think, okay, so these things were like filed away or, um, and at NYU, I was doing medieval and Renaissance studies with an emphasis in art history, because I really wanted to do medieval and Renaissance art. And of course, those are all the Bible stories, you know, the, the church was the patron of the arts, right? And so I think that kind of like, I remembered the stories from when I did go to church a little bit as a kid or Sunday school. Um, so I don't know, I think it was just kind of like, I mean, of course, I would define it as the Holy Spirit now, or I would kind of like say, oh, well, must have been the Holy Spirit. But, but I think, you know, those things were making me curious. So I, I went back on my own, like, I just kind of checked out the wow. times at St. John's Lutheran Church where I was baptized and um, showed up. And I was the only young adult, I think, really. Um, you know, but it did feel like something had been missing like when I came back and I couldn't really put a finger on it, but it it felt right. And um, so, so then I started getting involved in a lot of things and people were inviting me to stuff because I was the only young adult and uh, that's and cool. then you became a pastor. <laughs> right. And then just a hop, skip, and a jump. <laughs> right. there's, there's a, there's, let's talk about you being a pastor. Um, there's a lot of um, ups and downs with the ministry. And um, and I think it's really, well, Jeremy and I think it's really important to hold on to like our successes because mm -hmm. sometimes the, the not successes, uh, you know, yeah. can be very depleting, you know? So do you have any like successes in ministry? Like, like, I, of course you have successes in ministry. Tell us some successes in ministry that you hold on to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I said this in the, um, the zoom, but it really was in my last call that I, um, the parable of the sower became very close to me. <laughs> you know, I was a, a mission developer and, and it's not to just say, okay, well, that's good enough. But, but the fact that, you know, God's picture of the kingdom has sort of a 25% solid return, um, <laughs> sort of was <laughs> somewhat that's reassuring just to, just to know that like, you know, we do what we can to like, you know, share it widely, but also we just have to be realistic about sometimes like what 
can be produced, you know, or what comes up and, um, and be thankful for it. So, um, so yeah, in, in Brooklyn, um, as a mission developer, so I was in, um, in a growing or a, a hot neighborhood in Brooklyn, Greenpoint, Williamsburg is right next door and Greenpoint's where like girls was set. And so over the 2000s, people were like wanting to go there and from all over. And, and so, you know, my first call was coming to an end or I felt like, okay, God's calling me to something else. And so they wanted me to go there and work with these two churches that had dwindled over the 20th century um, as Germans moved out of the neighborhoods, you know, New York changed a lot. And, um, it became very evident very quickly that they were not really going to work together. So I focused at the one and we created a new start called the Park Church Co-op. And the idea of the co-op was that even before I got there, that church had opened up a bit to like community members using it, especially like artists and musicians and, you know, people that didn't have a lot of money to rent spaces. Um, and, um, and this was something that uh, Ben Colahan, one of our colleagues, he was serving in the area next, right next to mine. And so we did some collaborations together. And um, and one of them was, um, there was this tarot group that we were connected with one of the members. And he was actually my musician at the time. He's a young 20 something, sort of exploring different spiritualities, right? Like a, a plurality of spiritualities. Um, and there was this group that like they, they weren't like worshiping with tarot or anything, but it was like they would explore the symbols of the tarot. And so they asked at one point, Ben and me, they said, well, could we do the spiritual leader card at the church? Like we're, we're studying the, the spiritual leader card. And would you come and talk about being spiritual leaders? And we're like, sure. And we helped design it. We said, you know, as long as you're not like worshiping anything else, like we could do this in church. And, but it was funny how they had created like a, for better, lack of a better word, like a liturgy, but it was really just like a movement of like, you know, expressing intentions and talking about spiritual authorities in their life. And like, um, and Ben and I did a foot washing as they came in um and told like made the story of jesus doing that like into a little like liturgical statement we could say in like just 20 seconds you know as we're washing feet and and then at the end so the, you know we went through their whole thing and and then at the end there is a debrief like and they do it i think every time and and people said well i almost didn't come because it was in a church mm. but then they said but i'm really glad i did because i've never heard anyone talk about jesus the way that you and Ben do. Right. So, okay. So that was great. I mean, that was a really fulfilling experience, but then what really gets me is that the next year they wanted to do it again. And the person, the other leader of the group was not a member of the church or part of the work in the church, but he asked me, could we do it again? And he said, and this time, could you do a sermon on spiritual leaders in the Bible? <laughs> and I just thought like, it, it just taught me that, you know, if you are genuine with people and just say, Hey, this is my faith this is how I see it, but you're welcome here. At first they can be a little like, okay, well just don't talk to me about G or, you know, like pressing, but if you're genuine and true and consistent, like just stay, you know, be there and be the same, like with them, people will actually move closer to you sometimes, right? Like, it's like, okay, they're not trying to press something, but they've loved me. They've cared about me. And I saw that happen a number of times in Brooklyn. I mean, I had people doing evangelism for my church 
that were secular, like would not, they don't go to church, but when they heard, let's say a friend say, I'm looking for spiritual guidance, they trusted us enough and they trusted me to say, well, there's a church over there you could check out. So like they were doing better evangelism than sometimes our Christian, you know, people in the, in the pews do. And I was like, okay, you know, and so it was just being with them, letting them come as they are, as Jesus did, right? I mean, Jesus didn't, I mean, yes, there were a boundary or there were things he said, but you know, so that's one that I was, I, I think of, um, and it helps me think about outreach and what people think is outreach and really what works. Right. right. I think that's a great segue because you're talking a whole lot about, uh, about spirituality in, in your paperwork. You, you talked about our synod needing spiritual renewal. Um, and, and when you, when you said that in your paperwork and you, when you said that, and that at that town hall that we did, um, my ears perked up cause I, like I used to be an evangelical. And so like that, like I, that language still really appeals to me. Um, and, and I, and I believe it. And, yeah. and so can, can you talk about how, how does that take flesh from a bishop for the congregations and how do we renew spiritually as a synod? Yeah. You know, I know the word spiritual is often like, it's hard to I put like a finger it. on. I'm, I'm okay oh, with yeah. yeah, no, but it's hard to put a finger on, right? It's like, because I think it could sound woo-woo to people, but I think they're, you know, it's it's really all of what we do can be part of that spiritual renewal. But I think it is, it is challenging from the bishop's office down, you know, like, uh, you know, it is hard to make promises that the bishop's office will do that for people, right? Because it, like, other things get in the way. But I think as a synod and as much as the the bishop um in relation with other leaders and really finding other um not only the staff but also like whether it's deans or whether it's other um other lay leaders even throughout the synod to really foster opportunities to connect right mm. um because i think of course we need relationship building and trust building back trust in our synod and by the way, every synod <laughs> needs that. I mean, New York was talking about it when I was there and how do we, you know, especially between like synod and congregations or, and clergy, and then, you know, between congregations, um, how do we try to create some um, intentional opportunities for congregations to come together separately from conference meetings and, you know, just to even enjoy each other's company or to talk about the struggles of ministry you know, and so I think that the bishop's office could encourage and even arrange for or create, you know, some of these opportunities. I've thought about, you know, I often have to challenge myself into these kind of like, okay, spiritual renewal is important or like spiritual practices are important because I think Lutherans and I, you know, even though I'm not, like I said, I'm not completely formed by the Lutheran culture early on. But I think Lutheranism can be very rational or very like, okay, just like do work and, you know, and, um, and so I really challenge myself. It's why I keep a spiritual director who actually is a little more charismatic than I am because it challenges me to like, mm -hmm. can I feel where God is in this? Right. And, and so I really, I think I need, I commit to those practices because I know that it's not my first thing, but I know it's important. And so like, um, one thing in the New York Synod that I saw, every time you visited the Synod office, there was worship at, at noon. And anyone was there who was there 
goes to the chapel. Like we, we do that together, you know, and I think having the staff do that together, like, and commit to that and finding ways for, um, through these virtual opportunities, whether it's zoom or other things to build a culture of text study or Bible study together, like offering prayer or offering text study from the Bishop's office, but then also encouraging others to do it. Um, you know, um, I think that's part of spiritual renewal. Um, I also think, you know, the other part we talked about it earlier, like discipleship, right? How do we um, encourage discipleship among our people and give opportunities for deeper, deeper exploration? Um, one of the things that I have been thinking about over the last year or so is this idea that Jesus preached to crowds, followers, and disciples. And I think sometimes in the church, we talk about discipleship as like, well, we're all disciples, right? And, but the reality is we have seekers who are in the crowd that are curious, right? And we may have people who are been in the church for 50 years who are also in the crowd still, right? right. They're like, I come here, but I'm not really sure. Or I'm like still trying to figure it out. Then you have the people that come from the crowd and say, you know what? Like I, I see something and I'm willing to say Jesus is the one I follow and that's enough for me, right? Or that's like good. But then you have the people that are like, there's a spark and you see it. And a lot of times we don't have anywhere for them to then be discipled further. Mm -hmm. Or we don't really think like, okay, so what, what does it mean to discipleship? And so I think um, a big dream of mine, which wouldn't happen in a first like year or two of uh, of being a bishop or something, but like, a lay academy, like how are we, and maybe even clergy, you know, maybe it's just like giving people more confidence in their own faith and how to live it in a changing world, right? Mm. Um, how to be the church in this different landscape, right? And so some of it is um, really scriptural and, and spiritual, you know, like the tools of the faith. Mm. And then some of it's really just practical, right? Like how can we find experts that, um, will speak to clergy and lay people about um, virtual, like how to use technology better. Even And even if you don't have the capacity, what are some tools that you could, or tricks that you could use or um, definitely commitments to the justice issues, right? But like, what does that mean for people, right? So um, so I've seen lay academies and other synods and, but they were more like um, sort of the mini seminary things. And, you know, that's good too. But even some more practical, like tangible, like, even some of the, like, what does it mean to have different, need different models of the church um, for this changing time? Um, so, I mean, I think those, and then I think we just need to like, empower is not the right word because God already has empowered us <laughs> to live the mission in the world. Um, but we need to like set people free to do that and give permission or like say, yeah, you know, I think some of my success in Brooklyn because there weren't a lot of structures around was just to say, Yes, to think. If people had a, an idea and it seemed reasonably uh, okay, it's like let's try it, and like <laughs> you can try it, you know. The the way I talk about that is that it's my job to throw kerosene on people's fires. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah, when you see the spark, and and I think also being like paying attention. I don't know if you can do this at the. I mean, I think you can do it at the bishops level, but like, but definitely in congregations, like it doesn't have to be a blanket all come like, let's try and find the people that have the gifts and invite them 
mm-hmm. you know, that's better than just saying, well, anyone who's interested come, I think we need to be more effective in, in the way that we do that. And I think that's where the bishop for the leadership of the staff or the leadership of like other entrusted people need to do that. Excuse me, I need to wave at my, um, there we go. Sorry, it was beeping at me and the lights were going to go out. So oh, oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's on a time. It's like, no, it's all right. you, you have to wave at your light every once in a while. Yeah, it doesn't see me here. I don't, <laughs> <laughs> like, that was, that was great. That was a great, uh, there is obviously, you know, three expressions of the church. We talk about this. Everybody, sh- we all should know it. Although Jeremy didn't in one of our podcasts before we started. Uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't grow up uh, Lutheran. Which which two did you get? <laughs> which one? Yeah. Did you get? <laughs> so I got so church-wide, right? <laughs> okay, the church, right? <laughs> right. So in our in the ELCA, it's church-wide, synod, and individual congregations are the three expressions of the church. Thank you for not testing me on that. No, I get that. <laughs> but but what do you think the like the function of the synod offices? You've already kind of named a couple of things that you have ideas for, but but what else is the function of a synod office? Yeah, um, I think it is in part the vision casting um, and the public witness. Um, I I would like to see our synod do a little more of the public witness when the world is dealing with things or our society is dealing with things like making sure that, you know, there is a statement that, that helps guide, you know, cause I know that in our church, we look for that even as cover for what we can say is like, okay. So like if the, if the larger church is saying it, if the Senate is saying it, then like we can say it, you know, cause of course we have people in congregations that are not all on the same page, but like, you know, then we can say, well, this is kind of what our, our church values. So like, you know, um, and then I think, you know, I mean, of course, there's a lot of the ideological stuff, but then there is the accountability, you know, helping us have accountability to the inst- the relationship we have in the institution, you know, not protecting institution exactly, but there are things that, like, I think we, um, we are accountable to, and there are definitely spelled out things that, you know, we know as pastors, we have to keep those, you know, good records or at least make sure someone, <laughs> we have a staff that will help us do that if we're not the best at it. Um, and so the synod does have that function and to be the, um, and really be the, it is the go between them, between the, you know, those two other expressions, right. Of the congregation and the church wide. Um, and so to, to do what we can with like communication, better communication and, um, and figuring out what that looks like, right. Like how do we communicate, um, what is the larger church saying, what is important to us as a church, and what is the vision of the synod, you know, like, and communicating then the vision and the mission of the synod, um, but also holding one another accountable to that. I think, you know, as sometimes we don't like the word accountability because we think it's like oversight or like, you know, punishing, but I mean, we are accountable to one another, like in this relationship that we're in as the body of Christ, right? And then we're in these like geographical divisions for our church, right? Um, and I feel like sometimes we... We don't really ask, how are you doing as a clergy person or how's your congregation doing? We only hear about it when it becomes a problem, right? Um, And we don't also ask things like, so what's your best, tell me what your best sharing of the good news was this year or like, you know, accountability to the gospel too. Mm -hmm. It's only like, 
you know, money and sex and like, you know, it's all the other things that we ask about or we, you know, or if there's a crisis there, but how many people are having crises of faith, right? And we don't necessarily ask or we don't hear about it. Um, and again, I realize it's, you know, it's reciprocal relationship and I know there's been breakdowns. So some people are like, um, I don't answer the, the bishop's call or I don't, you know, I'm not going to pick it up or something, but we, I think we have to keep trying as a synod too, and the synod council along with, you know, being a partner in that, like, how do we, um, sometimes, you know, I think in a lot of ways, it's the trust building first so that it becomes more, we, we can do that accountability with good faith. Um, but, but so that's some of the, the things I think of when I, I think about the synod office, um, and what it can do. So, how do you so think trust the, building, like, like, how would you imagine like trust? Cause I, I agree with the trust building part. Like how, how do you imagine that would go for you? Like, is have, what, what do you, how do you think you would start trust building with those maybe who are a little more, who would consider themselves uh, like maybe disenfranchised from the synod? Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, as I, I think about if I were to be in this role, um, I would definitely try to reach out to those folks first and just say, like, I want to just meet with you and listen. You know, I, I've i always tried in my ministry to say, um, like, to be open, just say, like, if even if you disagree or I want to hear the, I'd rather hear the, the criticisms or the, like, you know, or the anger or whatever it is um, outright than, oh, at lunch I heard these people were talking, you know, kind of thing. Um, and, you know, so I... I take seriously that it is the responsibility of the bishop in a way to make those first like contacts or to try, you know, and, and to learn, you know, sort of find out from, um, from other colleagues or from, you know, those who, um, are more familiar, like probably the deans are a good place to start to ask like, okay, who are those people that you feel need to reach out because they don't, they don't come to conference meetings or they, haven't come to synod assemblies in a while, or they feel like, you know, there's no point, um, you know, cause they're, they're still here. Right. And so the question is why, is it just convenience? Is it, is there a commitment to any of the mission and, and how can we help bridge that a little more? Um, and but figure out ways. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I was just gonna say some people feel burned by the synod, right? Uh, right. Right. Uh, a pastor call maybe didn't go the way they wanted it to, or yeah. I mean, there's a number of numerous reasons why yeah. individual congregations can feel uh, burned, you know, and, right. and maybe like you're saying with a new administration, there could possibly be some re reconciliation of some sort. Like, yeah. And it's always, you know, of course, perception is reality and perception is not always the truth either right so but we have to go with what people are saying they feel right like and or try to hear even beneath some of the like sometimes they won't say it outright right um and i don't know any other way except to go genuinely and humbly right and say i am a different person i i you know or synod is different now um we do want to hear and also then just to be sort of repentant about it, like on behalf of, you know, I, I feel like I've seen that be powerful for people too, whether or not they're even in the Lutheran church to just apologize on behalf of the church. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. sometimes it's just an acknowledgement that it, it wasn't, 
it wasn't you you were right like you know the church has done things and you know and so even a new administration can go and say you know i'm sorry that the synod let you down in this way and we're trying to be different if you're willing to like <laughs> take some steps toward us you know we'll we'll take steps toward you too and and try and figure it out but i mean the i guess there's no way it sounds so basic um but it is the only way in a way absolutely uh you, you know you've kind of talked about models of viewing you know uh, a ministry and discipleship and all that kind of stuff and, and and i think for the synod as a whole we need a strategic plan I'm not asking what that plan is. I'm, I'm, Thank God. right, like, oh, no. right, right. Cause who knows that, right? You, Here's you, my you, map. I, I, right, I exactly. <laughs> but how would you go about creating a strategic plan? Yeah. Well, it does begin first, you know, I think like, um, I haven't done this quite yet, although I'm, you know, to, to even look at like a six year, let's say, right. You get the six years. So, I mean, I think the first one or two is the reaching out and building relationship, right? And figuring out some of the, and so providing some of that um, so that, and that's not to say I don't have idea, you know, like, I mean, I think we can cast some vision of different models and encourage um, people to work together too. Um, but then I think it's, you know, I, I have been part of other mission strategy processes and was on the leadership team for that in Michigan. And I think as much as we can get, we did it in conferences. So we went and we actually involved people in conferences to do some total brainstorming about the church. We were led by consultants, but like, you know, if you had no structures for the church, what would God's vision for the church be? And to, you know, to really get us thinking outside the box on, you know, cause I think we're, we get so stuck in the models of synod, of church, of whatever, that it's hard to even imagine a different way, right? We're just plugging in like, okay, so we're missing this. So we plug it back in. Um, and, you know, so I think even bringing in some, like with either professional leaders conference or other conference gatherings or other opportunities to, to bring in people that can help us to do that, to think outside the box or think about different models that have worked in other places or, um, or even just bring us together around like, let's, let's see what our purpose is. I like the language I learned in the mission strategy process. It's like, we have a purpose in God's mission. God has a mission was to send Jesus Christ to, to bless and to save the world. But we have a purpose. Each of us has a purpose in that as individuals, as congregations, as synod, right? Like, and so discerning that together is important, not just the bishop or whoever going out and saying, well, this is our mission and, or our purpose or our vision. Um, but how do we find ways to bring people together in that. And so I think that does take some of the trust building initially so that they'll even come, <laughs> right? But um, but then providing opportunities to engage in this process together. And to be clear that we're trying to get to an end, like, and it, it's not to say that there's questions about whether you can even vision in this time, right? Like to say, well, this is our vision. <laughs> like, um, I think the purpose is a better discernment and then have short-term visions of like, okay, so where are we going in the short-term? Um, cause things are changing so quickly. And I think the minute we settle on one vision, it won't be effective for what's coming at us the night, you know? So I think, um, in this transitional kind of liminal space that we're in as a church, like what is church in this day and age is the question, right? I think in this liminal time, 
it's hard to set just like one vision and work only toward that. But we, but I think we need to try out some things together and and be in conversation about like, so what would God want us to be for the sake of our the people living in the territory of our synod, right? Again, not just for our churches, but for the people and our neighborhoods, right? Um, That's really good. I think. Uh, Obviously, as we're talking, you're talking about how you would impl- implement this. You're going to have staff around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so what do you think are the giftings of the staff that you would need to surround yourself with to like really complement your own style of, of leadership? Uh, what So how would you imagine the, the staff being around you? What kind of giftings would they have? Yeah, yeah. Um... Well, I'm definitely collaborative. So I, I like to have a team that can kind of think through ideas together, right? Kind of like do some discerning together. Um, and so I would, I would need people with like, who appreciate team as much as I do, or, you know, appreciate that collaboration as much as I do. Um, as I've thought about it, I know, you know, there are so many congregations struggling. And so I wonder if there is someone who, has gifts in whether it's accompaniment um, or even chaplaincy to understand like, okay, like if it is time, like how do we discern if it is time for certain ministries to, to give thanks for what has been and to do something new or to like, you know, I mean, sometimes close, but like, but maybe there's like, but it's always saying, saying goodbye to what was so that we can, and and to to give thanks for it, not to just like because there's a lot of grief. Anytime we change brings grief, no matter what, right? Like in, right. if we're honest about it, right? Because it's well, we're not going to do that anymore. Whether it's a whole closing of a congregation or just like well, we can't do that Sunday school program that way anymore, <laughs> or like you know, I mean. And so, is there someone who would work with congregations in assessing those things, but in a compassion, like in a pastoral way, but also not a way that's just like listen and do nothing. But here's some ways that we can move forward and figure out like some new things, new possibilities. Um, definitely. I want to find good administrative staff. Um, you know, I think I know even in my role here in a relatively large congregation, I mean, it's not really large, large, right. When you think about other ones, but you know, we have three pastors in multiple departments, right? So it's like, we need administrative support, right? It just, mm-hmm. even if I was the best administrator ever, you need someone who's going to help keep those things because you can't, when you're trying to do the other stuff, right? And, um, you know, of course, financial teams and others that can do like the operation stuff, like that, I think finding a good operational director would be important, again, to free up mm-hmm. the bishop and the other staff to do ministry things, right? Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, I've been trying to think, and this is something that, of course, whoever is in the job would have to learn more, you know, get a get a fuller sense. But, um, you know, whether deploying staff would be a good thing, right? And since our synod is so large and diverse, that having, even thinking about what the office structure would be, right? Do we need one office or is it more like outpost offices and one that houses the stuff we need to have, you know, there needs to be a location for certain things, but, um, and so are there staff in different places that maybe have a, um, rather than being like, uh, 
this is my expertise, but more, a more rounded out expertise and being in other locations, right, where they can be the first contact for people or, you know, people feel like, oh, there's a presence of the bishop's office here. And I know we can do some of that with deans and I know they've been being built into that maybe a little bit. Um, and so maybe that is another way to do that is just to have people on the ground who are literally close to people, like, right, like proximity um, so that, you know, so maybe it's, it's gifts, yes, but finding the best person in certain areas to be like trusted with um, representing the synod and being able to like do some of that accompaniment with people and congregations. Well, th yeah, thank you for that. Um, unfortunately, as bishop, um, you're gonna have to handle conflict. It's it's mm -hmm. it's kind of one. It's one of the parts of the of the job, um, and you know conflict you know between churches between pastors and and staff and pastors and you know it's just there's conflict in the church because we're yeah. people right we're saints and sinners um what what's your style of conflict resolution how how do you go about handling conflict yeah um i mean i don't love conflict right like I don't know. I mean, some people do. Some people do like actually, <laughs> or, um, I run you know, towards so, conflict. So I, yeah, I, see, some, I know. know I, some people. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, so, so I don't seek it out. However, I do know that there are times when you just, you know, you need to face it, of course. Right. And, you know, my style is to really, again, like earlier I said, you know, just, just tell me, you know, to listen, right? Like to try and listen and hear, you know, both sides or whether it's a side or whether it's conflict with this, maybe I am the one side, you know, but, but to listen, right? Um, and I think to have others as part of that listening, right? Like, so to have, you know, I've always in the past, if there was conflict brought in someone else that I trusted, even just to, to listen, not necessarily to like join in the, um, like advocate my side or anything, but just to be able to hear, right? Because um, I think that protects you as well as like the other people and and allowing them to have their own advocate or, you know, accompaniers uh, in that. Um, and then, you know, to rely on um, counsel from other people, you know, like to, so I see myself forming my own separate sort of counsel with an S, right? Like of, people that I trust, um, whether that's other bishops could be part of that or other, or lay people, you know, a mix of people, but like people that I would trust to kind of tell me honestly, like give me some honest assessments of what, you know, my own sort of assessment of the situation or like, you know, so to check out those kind of things so that we don't, in decision-making about what needs to resolve the conflict, there'd be other voices that help um, to assess that as well. Um, and again, I think it starts with also having a good staff that's like got emotional maturity um, and also, uh, you know, even Senate Council, right? Like really being intentional about who is on there and how we train folks in this um, to support the bishop in this work because it may not also be the bishop that needs to be the one to go in, right? Or the, or even staff, maybe it is someone from Senate Council or maybe it's a trusted lay person that has some 
expertise in the area around the conflict, right? And and that could probably do a better job, but be trusted to keep the bishop in the loop, <laughs> you know? And so, so I, I think really it's an initial assessment of, okay, what's needed in this situation and then trying to find the right people um, and really determine who needs to, because sometimes it is the bishop that just needs to be the one to handle it. Um, so not to like say, I would always look to get out of the responsibility, right? But like, um, so I'm not hearing that at all. What I'm hearing is, is to, to discern what is needed in the situation and to yeah. recognize that maybe you're not the person to help deal with that. Maybe it is an outside consultant or synod staff or somebody mm -hmm. who's specially trained in that particular, that, that shows, uh, to me, a real ability to go, maybe you're not the person and that's okay. <laughs> that's what leadership is. The leadership yeah. is recognizing what needs to be done and then making that thing happen. Right. And, and so I, I really love that answer that you gave because, because, you know, sometimes we might perceive that we're the person to do everything. Right. right? But no, you're the leader to help instigate the the process for people. Right. To yeah. lead, um, and I, so thank you. Thank you for saying that. I appreciate sure. it. You're welcome. Uh, okay. Jeremy, before we get to question 12 and 13, is there anything that we missed? No, uh, I, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, what didn't we ask you that you think maybe we should have oh. asked you? Like, <laughs> um. I don't know. Um, well, let me put it another way. What do you think? Yeah. Um, what do you think we should like? What do you think we should know about you as it relates to being bishop? Like, is there anything like those? These are those. Those are last yeah. few questions. Like, those kind of go together. Like, what? What should we know? Sure. Um, well, you know, I guess one thing is my own picture or my own experience of bishops in the past. You know, I think like, or what is a good bishop to me? Um, you know, I, I have this unique, oh, relatively unique, I guess. I don't know how unique it is, but, um, I facetiously say that it may be me who, when I move around the synods, all of a sudden, like bishops have issues or whatever, but like, but I've been <laughs> in the three synods I've been in, like, I was counting it up. I think I've been through like, um, at least six elections, like, or, you know, because wow. in, in Michigan, in my first call, there were three in my time because I mean I think it it goes to the challenge of the job too and the stresses that can weigh on people and stuff but people had to resign or one bishop died in office you know and so there were a lot of like kind of upsets to things and um but it gave me a lot of like experience with bishops and what kind of a bishop you know what kinds of bishops were meaningful to me as a pastor um and for me, it was those bishops that actually were pastoral. And I know that sometimes the other stuff gets in the way of that. And that's unfortunate, right? And you you want to be pastoral, but then there's all the other stuff. Um, but it was the pastor, the bishops that actually like listened when I took the time to go to them. Mm -hmm. um, and I've definitely had bishops where I was like in one ear and out the other. And you're like, oh, okay. Like, or, oh, you've got gifts just like you can go do it. I've been told But <laughs> when I was asking for real, like, okay, like, um, I need some resources here. And so, you know, I've had a couple of bishops, uh, John Schreiber in Michigan before he died. Um, I felt like, oh, this bishop 
It's actually like my pastor. I could, I trust him to tell him things or if I'm struggling with things, you know, um, Don McCoy, who became the interim in, in New York, listened in ways that the prior bishop didn't, you know, and, you know, and so I, I felt like that's what I appreciate in a bishop, also knowing the reality of things getting in the way of being able to do that all the time. But, um, but even just listening to people when they, you know, like listening openly and making people feel heard, I think is important. Um, it's been important to me. Yeah, I think that's good. All right, I think that's that's uh, kind of the main bulk of our conversation, and and we're going to now enter in to our kind of rapid questions. Okay, uh, and <laughs> um, and you know we're doing this to anybody we ever interview. This is just yes. kind of our thing. Okay. So, um, which food can you eat every day? Oh boy, um, some uh, probably some good New York bagels I could eat every day. I shouldn't, but I could. <laughs> What's your favorite movie genre? Um, I guess comedy. I can go with like, favorites are hard for me because I can like, you know, it depends on my mood, but but I like a good comedy um, and I like, but I also like a good drama. So it depends on. Uh, salty, sweet, or savory? Salty. In addition to the Bible, because every pastor says the Bible, which book <laughs> would you want with you on a deserted island? Oh, boy. Um, um, probably something by Anne Lamont. I like her stuff. Um, something funny that I could, <laughs> like a funny memoir or something. What fills your cup? Hmm. Um... I think getting out in nature, you know, just kind of, I love the city, but I need to get away, like to kind of recharge, uh, just being out in the vastness of nature. What depletes your cup? Hmm. Um, I'm a little bit introverted. So sometimes if I've been like with people a lot, I just need to like go back and take some time on my own for self-reflection and stuff. So, um, What's your favorite holy place? Hmm. Well, oh, that's an interesting one. Um, well, it's very particular and I don't get to visit it all the time or, you know, I've been there once, but I, um, a few years back we went to Ireland and, um, and the, the Wicklow mountains, there's like a valley there. And I can still like go there in my mind or like, and it was just so beautiful. And there were like ancient ruin or like from the middle ages, like ruins of churches and things. And I don't know, it was just like, I felt God's presence in a, in a way that was really peaceful. And like, so I, I haven't been back, but I plan to at some point, you know, but I can live there in my mind. Hmm. Uh, what's one piece of good advice that you've been given? Hmm. You know, my mom, uh, she'd always say, you make the best decisions you can in the moment with the information that you have, you know, and so just like, you know, you can't think about necessarily what might go wrong or whatever. And I try to follow it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't always get there, but I think it's, you know, okay, I'm just going to decide on what I know now and trust that God will be there. So. Mm. 
Uh, what does rest look like for you? Hmm. Well, is it bad to say sitting on the, the couch watching TV sometimes, you know, but uh, not at yeah, all. That's, that's <laughs> like, you know. All right. And and <laughs> lastly, um, what do you hope God will say to you when you enter the pearly gates? Oh, boy. We believe in pearly gates. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, Metaphorically. <laughs> well, it, it's, you know, from the Bible, but, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, I think would be a good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pastor Amy, thank you so much for agreeing to be a part of this podcast. Uh, it has been our pleasure. Yeah, mine too. Thank you for the invitation. Friends, this has been the Serrano Brothers podcast. Uh, thanks for listening.